going to do a two-week um, study, just kind of kick off the new year on an area of uh, need uh, to focus on for our ministry. And it was rooted in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Uh, next week, we'll continue our study in Luke. We just go verse by verse through Luke, and, and uh, we've been working through that for a while. And, uh, but, but for these two weeks, I wanted to step back and from Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus commissions his followers to go and make disciples. It's known as the Great Commission. And in fact, at the end of every gospel, it's worded in a little bit different way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then in Acts 1, verse 8, he also says... Uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. So actually five times it's recorded in Scripture that the commission of the church is to be going out and evangelizing. And, and it's really a twofold process. When he says, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Remember, the, the making disciples part is, is the sharing of the gospel. It's evangelizing. And then teaching them to observe is discipleship. So the, the two-pronged focus for these two weeks has been evangelism, the sharing of the gospel, and then discipleship, which we're going to talk about today, that is the, the training or the teaching of those who do accept the gospel. And that's, if, if our church isn't doing that, we, we should lock the doors today and never return. This is the mission of the church. And, and when you say mission of the church, don't hear that that's the mission of Andy or the mission of the elders or the mission of the mature. It's the mission of everyone who calls themselves a believer. Dave and I uh, went to a conference in, in September. Remember, this was the conference we went to Washington, D.C., where I fell into the water. And every, I mean, this was a, re, if, you don't re, if you don't recall that, I'm glad. I don't know why I mentioned it again. But uh, it was a conference in, uh, at a church, Capitol Hill Baptist. Uh, Mark Dever is the pastor, and he's well known for his polity, that is, his writing on what the church should do and how the church should be. Um, and at the end of the conference, after, after three days of intense teaching and training, uh, there were about 100 people. It was a smaller gathering. Mark Dever wanted everybody in the room to go around and say what they learned and what they were going to take home to give him some, kind of some feedback as to what was the main focus. And uh, so you couldn't just sit and listen to everybody else. We just went around the room for an hour and a half, 100 people. Everyone had to say. And there was a, there was a theme that rose to the top. In fact, both Dave and I mentioned it in our in our statements as well, but I would say, I mean, wouldn't you say it was three-quarters of the people probably that mentioned this same thought, and that was that it was a need to improve in the area of discipling. I mean, it was, it was overwhelming. Probably three-quarters of the pastors and, and people there were saying, we, we just need to go home and we need to learn and do better discipling. We need to disciple other people. So what I want to do today, uh, both in our morning and evening gathering, uh, I don't know if we'll get the tables out or not, but it will be informal tonight because this morning I want to say, okay, what, what does it mean to, to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Okay, so we all understand what that means. And then tonight, really practical. So, so we both stood and said, well, we want to be better disciplers and we want our church to have a culture of discipleship. This was a term that kind of was thrown around a lot like is our church does our church have a culture of evangelism like is our church an evangelizing church or is our church a discipling church so it was one thing for Dave and I to say yeah we need to be better disciplers and then just kind of hope that that happens so tonight real informal question answer you know uh, principles of activity how you and I can be better disciplers of other people 
Okay, so come back tonight for that. But, but this morning, I want to make sure we're all on the same page that we understand what that means to be a disciple. Because, and I'll say it again in just a minute, but, but here is the problem. We, we, you, you don't disciple a non-Christian. Okay? You evangelize an unbeliever. You disciple a believer. But I think our world is so cockeyed and, and it's kind of slipped into the church that we don't really understand what a, what a believer is, and we can't identify that person as a believer. And so we're, we're doing a lot of discipling of unbelievers. In other words, we're training unbelievers how to be Christians when they're not even Christians. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here, but, but what, what we're creating is moralists. We're, we're creating people who are, who are what? What do they call themselves? Good people. Good people. Because they, but, but we, we can't, and, and I preface all this by saying, of course, only God can know if the person is truly a believer. But I'm saying from our perception, our, we, we have to at some point identify, do we believe this person is a believer or an unbeliever? Because that will determine whether we evangelize them or whether we disciple them. Okay, so in Mark 8, here is an important passage about that. So it, it's actually going to be shorter this morning and longer tonight. Shorter this morning, longer tonight, because it's, it's more of a, okay, now we understand what a believer is, and we can identify believer, unbeliever, at least from our limited perspective, not from God's sovereign understanding, but then we can say, okay, we're going to evangelize this person, we're going to share the gospel with them, but we're going to disciple a believer, we're going to train them now how to live like Christ. Mark 8, uh, verse 34, a brief section, just 34 to 38, calling the crowd to him, with his disciples, a disciple is a follower, learner, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Maybe over Christmas or New Year's you were invited to a party. Um, or in the past, if you weren't, maybe in the past you can think of a time that you were invited to someone's home. I can remember... Uh, pastoring, uh, being a youth pastor, and being invited to all kinds of um, open houses in the summer, in graduations. And uh, we pastored a lot of people in Lapeer, uh, teens who came from uh, outside of the church, but they would invite us to their open houses. I remember getting one that said, uh, here's the invitation to the open house, no one under 21 will be served alcohol. Okay. The person who is that's not either there, but the person who is sending out the invitation is setting the standard for what will be happening at the party. Okay, the, per- the person who is, who is inviting you is saying, this is going to be the standard at the party. And, and when you're invited into someone's home, typically it's, whenever I'm invited to someone's home, I take my shoes off. Right? This is the standard procedure for when you enter, unless the person says, go ahead, it's, you know, we, we, don't, we wear our shoes now. So, but the person who is doing the inviting is setting the standard. Now I want to relate that to Christianity, 
in that the invitation to follow Christ in this passage is coming from who? Who is making the statement? If anyone wants to come after me, he's inviting people to follow him. Who is the person who is making that statement? Christ. So he has the right to set the standard of what that really means or what a person who is invited must do. And, and the church today, I'm not saying our church or, the, or any specific church, but Christianity in general is, is shifting that a little bit, and now, and now we're kind of setting the standard for what that means. In the 1950s and 60s, it meant you went forward and you were a Christian. Uh, today it means if you're not a Jew or a Muslim, you're a Christian. Right? Today it means oh, I heard my favorite athlete credit God after they hit a home run. That person is a Christian. I watched the Golden Globes or the Oscars, and the person credited God. I want to think, oh, that, that person's a Christian. And, and we, we start to shift the model of what Christianity really is. Oh, you're part of a church? Then you're a Christian. You were baptized? Then you're a Christian. And churches have shifted that, and, and what we need to do is focus on what Christ has said a disciple really is. What is a disciple? It is a follower learner. It is someone who attaches themselves to a teacher, and that disciple is fully trained when he is like his master. There's supposed to be a transformation happening. And so because the church has shifted the language of what it means to be a Christian, there are tragically many people who think Upon their death, they're going to heaven, when in actuality, they're not. I told you recently of, uh, we, we, we heard of the tragedy of this young man who committed suicide, grew up in the church. And according to all of his public persona and uh, social media posts and just his life's, just observing his life, you say, man, this, this guy doesn't know Christ. But people project and get up during a funeral service because you do not want to say, this guy is in hell. And they say things like, in fact, I asked a person, I said, what, what, do you think this person was a Christian? In my mind, from, again, only God knows. We understand that, right? Only God knows. But from my perspective, right, uh, the lifestyle is, is not screaming follower of Jesus. And, and, and I asked the person, well, he made a profession of faith when he was five years old. So we know he's going to heaven. And so what we say about these people, imagine, imagine the deception that, that the service creates for others. Okay? So let's imagine, let's imagine that, we'll, we'll take my brother, let's take John, for instance, is a total, total uh, skunk of a person, right? Everybody knows he's a cheating, gambling drunkard, right? He, he's he's, he's uh, been unfaithful to his marriage. I mean, this is not true. I'm just using his example. But he, he's just... He's just out there, right? And, and everybody's got this reputation of ungodliness, and he dies. And I say, oh, what a brother. What a, a brother in Christ. What, we're just so thankful he's in a better place today. We know that when he was seven years old, he prayed to receive the Lord Jesus as his Savior, so we know he's secure. Now, all of John's buddies who he's hanging with, because that's in the crowd he's in now, again, just an example, but, but the people he's connected with are like, well, if John was Christian, then I am too. And the church has perpetuated this nonsense that a prayer saves you. 
or that a, a connection to a church saves you. And, and be clear, a lifestyle doesn't even save you because the opposite could be true. The opposite could be true. John could be a paragon of virtue, faithful to his family, hard worker, faithful to the local church, choir member, Sunday school teacher, sound, whatever, right? And still die apart from Christ. Isn't that right? So, so both of those things can be true. But I, I don't want us to be deceived as a family, a church family, because I want us to know what Christ described. I mean, most of Jesus' invitations to follow him actually seem like, you better stay away. He, he puts these huge obstacles and barriers, just, just the Mark 8 one we just read, and that's the one we're going to think about. But in Matthew 10, he, he talks about families being divided because of Christ. And think of what's happening in the Muslim world if you trust Christ today. I mean, you, you, you fear of your life. But families could be divided in this sense too. Uh, uh, again, again the, uh, the idea that y- your son, one of my sons goes off the rails, let's say, and, and is living a life like the, the young man I described earlier. Um, I must be faithful to the gospel above my family and can't portray, oh, well, I don't care how he's living his life, he's still a believer. Uh, Luke 9, verse 57 says, no one is fit to follow me if they start and then turn back. You know, no one can put their hand to the plow and is fit for the kingdom if they turn away. John 12, verse 25 says, we have to hate our own life. And in fact, in Luke 13, we're going to come to that in a couple of weeks in our study in Luke, Jesus actually says, many will try to enter and not be able to because of these barriers. Again, he's the one setting the, making the invitation so he can set the standard. Christianity, big thought here today, big thought. Being a Christian is costly. It will cost you everything. It, it is not as simple as saying, I would, like to, I would like to be free from hell, and so I will do whatever the pastor says, and then, uh, then be off. I, I, I'm glad I left the screen on, because there, there was a phrase that came up uh, in one of the songs we sang. Look at that first, the first two lines here. I will glory in my Redeemer. My life he bought, my love he owns. This is 1 Corinthians 6, really, right? He, he has purchased me, and my life is not my own. I now belong to him. But a lot of people want to come to Christ, shoo, no more hell, and then live like hell, basically. I, I don't mean to curse, but, but you know what I mean. I, I want to live however I want, but at least I know I'm not going to go to hell when I die. It, it's a tragic it's a tragic uh, misunderstanding. Uh, it's more than that. It's, it's deception that Satan has, has uh, provided. Being a Christian is costly. It costs our whole life. It may cost family relationships. But Christ makes that very clear. Jesus called the crowd to himself in our passage. Uh, and some of his disciples are with them. And there is great gravity and weight to the message here. Jesus is about to unveil what it really means to be in the way with him. What it means to follow him and what are the demands. Okay, so, so just so we can all understand, I don't know if everybody in here is a believer or not. Some of us may be deceived by some of the things I mentioned at the beginning of the message, but how are we going to identify who are the people we need to evangelize and who are the people we need to disciple? So he gives two, this is the message, one, two, two great demands of anybody who wants to be a disciple. There are two great demands of anybody who wants to be a disciple. Remember, it's not about being connected to Christ, being, 
being free from hell or being, uh, you know, uh, part of a, having a reputation belonging to him. It's, it's, this is what it really means to be his follower. There's two demands. If you were doing the lesson, you would easily see them, right? In fact, what are they? What are the two great demands of anybody who wants to follow him? They have to do what? Here's what I heard. What does it say? Verse 34. I think it's right in verse 34 or 35. Might be. What's that? Well, what's the, what's the passage say, though? It, that's true. But how does Jesus word it? How does Jesus word it in verse 34? Deny. Got to de- that's demand number one. They've got to deny themselves. And the second thing they've got to do is take up the cross. Okay, so let's, let's try to find out what those mean. And what Joe said is true, too. But, but the specific things that Jesus mentions here is they've got to deny themselves and take up their cross. Okay, so, so the message, it's, it's point number one, is demand number one, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to deny yourself. And demand number two is you've got to take up your cross. So let's talk about these. And again, it's going to be actually kind of brief today. What does it mean to deny ourselves? Well, the word deny in the original here means to refuse or disown. So what a person must do who wants to come to Christ is disown themselves, completely renounce themselves. Here's here's a way that one of the books I read this week mentions it. Uh, We must replace ourselves with God as the object of our affection. I mean, Joe just said, love the Lord. Most people love who? Supremely. They love themselves supremely. And, and we, we, we take care of ourselves first. We, we make sure uh, that all our needs are met. Uh, we, we look out for number one. And what, what denying ourselves means is we, we take ourselves off of the throne of being first of importance and replace the highest object of our affection is now God. And when I think of denying oneself, my mind immediately jumps to a portion of Scripture where Peter denies Christ. Remember this? He had already proclaimed his allegiance to Jesus, said, no, no matter what happens, I'm dying too. And then, go Peter. And then, sadly, we know the story that when he gets around the fire with some of the uh, Christ deniers and enemies of the Lord, and they start accusing him, making claims that Peter was with Jesus and knew Jesus and followed Jesus, Peter actually says these words, I never knew the man. I never knew the man. So in a sense, that gives us a picture of what it means to deny ourselves. I never knew that person. We want to be, we want to be so disconnected from ourselves that Christ becomes exalted. In other words, I don't want any part of that, of that person who existed before knowing Christ. I, my Myself must be put aside and Christ honored. Let me, let me give you ABC under this of three ways that we must deny ourselves in order to be a believer. And if you aren't doing this, I don't care if you pray to prayer. You're not a Christian. Okay? If you are not doing this, now not perfectly, not, not 100%, but if this is not your desire, this is not your goal, this is not what you're, what you're striving to do, then, then you are not a believer according to what the Bible says. What are some things we have to deny about ourselves? We have to deny, first of all, our self-worth. You must deny your self-worth. This is why Olstein and Joyce Meyer and these other false teachers who are proclaiming that you are, you know, the best, or you, you know, live your life, and you are number one, and, you know, all this whatever nonsense they, they spout, you have to deny that you are a good person. That's what denying our self-worth really means. It's not like... Yeah, uh, we make uh, we make checks mix at Christmas, uh, and uh, 
the spices are always a little bit of a, uh, there's a little tension with the spices. Like, how much spice do you put in? Well, let's, we, we taste it. Oh, it needs a little more of this, a little more of this. It's not like when you come to Christ, you say, well, I, I'm okay as I am. I just need to add a little Jesus to me. No, you have to deny your self-worth, right? You have to say, I am not a good person. I am inherently evil and wicked. I am a rebel against all that God is and does. I am a complete disaster, sinfully speaking. I am tainted, polluted to my core. I am not a good person. A person who comes to Christ must admit that and know that and realize about that about themselves. Even after they trust Christ, they have to keep denying their self-worth. Well, isn't God lucky I'm part of the family of God, right? That's, you know, I remember talking to people who tried to be saved, and I, I actually try to do, in a sense, the same thing Christ does in actually making them really understand what this means. And, and I've heard people who have come to me in the past and say, so, well, why do you want to be a Christian? Well, I believe Jesus died for all our sin. Well, do you believe that you are a sinner? I, I I really focus the teens on this at school. I focus on the teens because a lot of times they like to make applications by saying we, 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 our, we, right? We must, and they don't make it personal. You must personally say, I'm inherently evil and wicked and sinful. Romans 3, I am not righteous. You deny yourself worth. Secondly, you must deny yourself effort. You must deny self-effort. In other words, there is nothing you can do to overcome your worthlessness. You must trust Christ alone. The first is a denial of really uh, inherent nature. The second is a denier of any action. It is not Christ's death plus I'm going to do my very best. There There are certain red flags when I'm talking to people. like when I'm talking to them and trying to discern, again, only God knows, but I'm trying to discern, is this person I should evangelize or is this person I should disciple? I I, I look for these red flag words, and one of the red flag words is, I I try to do my best. I try to do my best. And that always strikes me as, no, no. Because you're trying to earn, you're trying to work, you're trying to secure God's favor in some way apart from Christ alone. We, we sang the song about standing in, in his presence in his righteousness. You have no righteousness to stand in. Okay, so we must trust Christ alone. Deny our self-worth, deny our self-effort. And here's where most Christians agree on these first two things. This one is a little stronger. I also got to deny my self-will. Okay? That means my plans, my agenda, my goals for my life are now replaced by Christ's. This is not the type of invitation that most of the world offers unbelievers. It's disheartening to think of churches with so many resources. When attending these services, it's like you're attending a... uh, It's almost like going to the palace. Or going to Cobo Hall. I don't even know if that's a place anymore. But you're, you're going to these luxury stadiums, almost. It's almost like lights, camera, gospel. But the gospel isn't the gospel. It's Jesus wants to give you a new job. And isn't Jesus our... And, and the songs are like, Jesus is my boyfriend. And, and, uh, and not really, but the idea is, oh, what a, what a... 
Jesus is my lover. And not, I don't mean like that, but you know what I'm saying. I'm getting a little flustered, but it, it disheartens me to think, you got all that resource, you got all that money, and you can't just get a guy up there to say, this is what the Bible says about the gospel. You got to deny yourself. They're afraid to say that because the stadium empties when they say, because it emptied when Jesus said it. He fed 25,000 people. It says 5,000 men and children. The estimates are 20 to 25,000 people. They came back the next day because they liked what they ate. And then he said, you've got to partake of my flesh and blood. And they gone. Seriously. So where Jesus turns to Peter and says, are you guys leaving too? Stadiums will empty if this gospel is preached. We could take, we don't want the church to be emptied, but we're not going to preach a gospel that says, you're okay, I'm okay. Come to Christ and, and he'll save you without any sort of emphasis on what Christ has said, denying our effort, denying our will, denying our worth. There's much controversy over this phrase. Well, isn't this lordship salvation? Right? Well, who are we accepting? You know, people, people use this term and they really don't understand what they're saying. Well, I accepted Christ into my heart. And, and we understand that terminology, but, but if you're talking to an unbeliever, they'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? Accepted Christ into your heart. Who are we accepting when we receive Christ? Are we just receiving the dying lamb, the Savior? Or are we receiving the eternal Lord, too? You're right, oh, well, it's almost like you come to, this is what's propagated a lot, folks, even in churches like ours. You can come to Christ, and then kind of later, you'll, you'll really acknowledge Jesus is the one in control. And you'll eventually get to that point. And yes, there is a growth trajectory but if you, can't, if you don't come to Christ at the moment you come to Christ and the person is saying, hey, your life's totally going to change now. Your plans are over. Your agenda's over. It doesn't mean I've oh, I got to quit my job and join a monastery. But it means whatever the Lord imposes on me through his word is now my mantra. Now, this, is my, this is what I'm going to obey. And a person says, well, I'm, I don't want that. I just wanted to be free from hell. Oh, that's okay. You could be free from hell today, and then you can kind of get into this later. That's heresy. That's heresy, and it's a false gospel. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we, don't, we, we renounce those hidden things. Boy, it'd be nice to put on the check mark. oh, five people got saved today. Well, where are they? They didn't join the church. They didn't become baptized. They're not being discipled. That's because they're still unbelievers. The only way to enter into a relationship with Christ is to accept him as our Savior and crown him as our Lord and then yield to his sovereign authority. Y'all just sang it. My life he bought, my love he owns. Did you mean that? Or is it just a nice little tune that we sing? Real Christians mean that. They don't live it perfectly, but they desire it. They mean it. We don't, we don't, we don't only accept the blessings of his salvation, but we give charge to Jesus in all areas of our lives. Nothing we can do, nothing we have achieved can merit salvation. This is what a true follower acknowledges. And let's say I was going to Tim Horton's and I saw a guy reading his Bible. I do a lot of study up there. And I saw a guy reading his Bible too. And I went to him and I said, tell me how you became, are you a follower of Christ? Oh, yeah, I am. And I said, tell me how you became one. Let's say someone asked me that. Like the very first thing you would say is I am a sinner and I needed Christ alone to save me. Right? That is the truth of the gospel. And if you start with anything else, there's, there's at the very least confusion, right? I've always been a Christian. Confusion. 
impossible, right? Or, you know, I'm trying my best, these other red flags. Folks, please be certain that you have denied your worth, effort, and will before the Lord. That is what true followers of Jesus do. Second demand is to take up your cross. Take up your cross. Uh, here's a first century image that we might not truly grasp because for us, the cross is simply jewelry. I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing a cross as jewelry. Uh, I was a little put off one time when I went to the old family bookstore. It's now Lifeway, but the old family bookstore, uh, this might have even been in Flint, and they were selling in a bowl next to the cash register, almost like an impulse buy, uh, these wooden crosses. It was called the cross in my pocket. And I read the little insignia there, and it was almost like a magic uh, charm. I carry this cross in my pocket, and like, huh? And what is this, an idol? You know, so, so we, we, we tend to look at it as jewelry, or even, even we might think it's some sort of inconvenience or hardship that we have to, quote, bear. You know, I've, I'm born my cross, so, you know, I have a husband that won't pick up his dirty clothes, that's my cross. You know, we, we kind of minimize it in that way, maybe not so silly, but you understand what I mean. For Christ's time period, when he said this in Mark 8 to his followers and to those listening, the image of the cross was very clear because it may be that they had just recently walked and seen people crucified. The image of the cross signifies this. It is a total claim on the disciples' allegiance to Jesus. In other words, the taking up the cross signifies the extent of the first demand. Okay, I've got to deny myself, but how far does that really go? Right, how far does denial really go? It goes to what? To the death. To the death. My life is dead, right? This, isn't this what Galatians 2.20 says? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life has been exchanged now and is Christ living through me. Condemned criminals carried their own cross. And so to take up your cross was to demonstrate publicly your submission to the authority against which you had rebelled. Remember Jesus didn't even have the power or strength to carry his own? Someone else had to. But what was being signified is, Christ, you have rebelled against this authority. Of course, he hadn't, but we understand this is the picture And so you are now demonstrating to all that see is that you are subject to us. Even though Jesus hadn't died yet, the disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. This crucifixion was a a very deterrent on rebellion. So when Christ made this statement, is this a group you'd want to join? You've got to deny yourself, and then you've got to be willing even to take up your cross. In fact is, most of the disciples who were listening to this very word from Christ would end up dying a violent death. Is the following of Jesus to you worth, more, worth your, your own life? This is how the gospel is offered, okay? We, we have to clarify it because th- this, is, this, is the, this is the dichotomy between Christianity today and what the Bible really teaches. The, the gospel or the, or the eternal life which Christ is offering, the invitation to be his follower, is not offered to you so that you come and get everything. It's offered to, to people who are willing to give up everything. See the difference? It's, it's not, oh, you come to Christ and you're going to get, 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 get. 
That's usually how the gospel's presented. Here's how the gospel's usually presented. Do you want to go to heaven? That's how the gospel's usually introduced. Do you want to go to heaven? Remember how many times I've told you this? I've probably told you this a hundred times. I could go to the sixth grade class, fifth grade class at school and say, does everybody want to go to heaven? Yeah. Okay, we'll do 20 jumping jacks. and y'all. Everybody would do whatever is next in the blank. Do you want to go to heaven? Here's what Christianity has done for 50 years. Do you want to go to heaven? Pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord, dear Lord. I know, I know, I know. You're good. And there's no understanding of, do you understand the commitment and the cost? That's why Jesus said, no king goes out to war without considering how much it's going to cost unless he get out in the battle and fail. No person building a tower starts without first figuring out the details. Can I finish? Yet we want to invite people to Christ without telling them what the goal line is. And so we're, we're, we're deceiving people into having this false confidence. True believers realize there is nothing worth hanging on in their lives in order to have Christ, even family relationships. There's nothing worth hanging on to. Why would anyone want to do this? Well, the rest of the section has the reasons, and, and this is how we're going to finish. Okay, so the demands are deny yourself. I explain what that means. Take up your cross. I explain what that means. Now, the rest of the section gives us the reasons. It actually has four fours. F-O-U-R, F-O-R. Four fours. So these are fours of purpose. Look at it with me. So if you want to follow Jesus, demand number one, deny yourself. Demand number two, take up your cross. Here's reasons. Number one, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Next verse. For what does it profit you to gain the whole world? Third four. Verse 37. For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Fourth four. For whoever's ashamed of me. Now let's walk through these each together, a minute or two on each one. These are the four reasons or purposes for accepting Christ's demands. Okay? These are the reasons we accept Christ's demands. First four. It's in verse, they, they just go verse, 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 verse. You see that? Everybody following me? So here, here it is in verse 35. Here's the first reason. For, or because, this is why you do it. Whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here's the reason you do it. Reason number one. This is how salvation comes. This is how a person actually is saved. When we give up our life, we actually save it. When we try to preserve our life, our will, our, I want to preserve my self-effort, I want to preserve my self-will, we actually jeopardize our souls. The, 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 the idea here is that the only way to preserve our lives is to forsake it. He isn't demanding that we follow him and take up our cross because he is some mean-spirited tyrant that, want to wrecks, that, that wants to wreck our enjoyment of life. No, he's come that we might actually enjoy life to the fullest and have it abundantly. And this is how it happens. We exchange our life for his. Not just accepting facts and then living however we want, but giving up ourselves to him. The one, here's a quote, the one for whom Jesus is more important than his own existence will secure his or her eternal life. But if our existence is more important than Jesus, we lose both Jesus and our existence. That's pretty powerful. This is an exclusive claim Jesus makes. It is complete loyalty to him. Jesus is saying it's an either or. You either give up everything and receive me or you hold on to certain parts of your life and you don't get it at all. That's the gospel. Okay? 
And the reason you say, I'm willing to deny myself, I'm willing to take up my cross, is because this is how Christ has said a person comes into a relationship with him. Just like the invitation, right? If you get an invitation to somebody's house, all right, everybody who, everybody who wants to come to this party will take their shoes off. Let's just pretend you get an invitation like that. And it's a wonderful party. You're going to go to this mansion. Beautiful. Well, who are they to tell me I've got to take my shoes off? And so you lose out on everything at the party. I mean, very trivial compared to what you lose out here. Christ wants to offer you salvation, the kingdom, eternal life, peace, joy. Psalm 1611, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, who's to tell, who is he to tell me I've got to do certain things? People may not ever say that, but that's their feeling. Second reason we do this. It's in verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? reason we do this, this is an incredible bargain. This is a great deal. You ever watched, I mean, I don't know that I've seen it in 20 or 30 years, but the Let's Make a Deal show where they sometimes open a door and there's a donkey or there's manure there. They had $5,000. This is the idiot mindset when you get on a game show, right? You get on a game show and, and all of a sudden you think the money's not real. Like, you're at $100,000. Do you want to risk this question and get half a million? And you see the question, it's something about the Turkish minister in 1943. Do you know his name? Well, I don't know it, but I think I'm going to guess. Like, you, you, just idiot. So you have this $1,000. Do you want to try for the goat? Well, there might be, and you lose everything. And you scream at the, you scream at the, you scream at the uh, screen, idiot, right? Oh, dummy. And here's the lie of the devil, right? You have this incredible opportunity, this offer to receive Christ and have all these joys. But wait a minute, I want to kind of hang on to this over here. And I don't want to give up my life. Well, what profit is it? What profit is it when Steve Jobs died? What profit is it when Mike Illich died? Now, I don't know personally if these men were believers or not. We hope and pray that they were. I'm not saying, oh, I'm glad these people are burning in hell. But from all our outward ideas and notions, these people were not believers. Billions. I mean, Illich owned half of Detroit. And unless he did know Christ, he's in hell. What profit is it now? What profit is it now? Think of the bargain. Think of the deal we're getting. You either get nothing or you get everything. And everybody wants to hang on to nothing because they don't want Christ to place these demands on their life. What profit is it if you have everything and lose your soul? Third, this is the third reason, and it's in verse 37. What can a man give in return for his soul? Third reason. So first is, this is how you get saved. Second, this is a great deal. Third, there is nothing else we can exchange for eternal life. God, here's my boat. Right? Is God impressed with that? God, here's $10,000. Will you please rescue my soul? There is nothing a person, even if they could gain the whole world, that they could give in exchange for the soul. The exchange is, is not giving something to Christ. The exchange is Christ for us. We read it in Titus chapter 2. He has redeemed us. He has, he has become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And the fourth reason, and I said we'll be quick, but here's the fourth and last reason. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed. First, this, the fourth reason, this keeps us from being rejected by him. When we refuse to reject ourselves in the demands of discipleship, what we're basically saying is we are ashamed of Jesus and his hold on our lives. And then in the future, he will then reject us. 
This is what a true believer is. Can I encourage you? I want to really encourage you to stop looking at your loved one, and I'm not saying this about a specific person, I'm just thinking in general because we're all tempted to do this. Stop thinking of your loved one, whether it's friend or family, who is living completely apart from Christ, has no interest in the things of God, uh, stop thinking of them as a believer. You have to. Stop thinking of them as a believer. Because they need to be evangelized, right? not discipled. They don't need to hear what it means uh, to, to be a good father or to be a good steward of their finances or to uh, you know, follow in the ways of Jesus in whatever area that we could think of. They, they need to become followers of Christ. But, but we love them so much, we, we don't want to admit that they're lost. And, and, and this is inhibits them really coming to know Christ. Because if you're not telling them that they're lost, you think their lost buddies are telling them that they're lost? So, so view, them as, view them as opportunities for evangelism. And then tonight, we'll talk about this, then look for people who are admitting these things. Again, not perfectly, not, we're all working not to earn it, but we're, we're moving in that direction to be better self-deniers. We, we know that's the case, but we still sometimes sin and we we replace Christ with ourselves from time to time, and, but, but our desire and goal, so look for that person to train and teach and disciple to become more like Christ. Let me make some quick applications before we quit. First is, anybody can come to Christ. Whoever, anyone, verse 34 says, anyone would come after me. We understand the sovereignty of God in his great plan has chosen in eternity past those who would be saved. And we, in our minds, tend to struggle with that. But the invitation Christ here makes is open to everybody. We share the gospel with everyone. We say these are, but we say these are the demands. You're not doing anybody any favors to share the gospel with them and, and say, do you want to go to heaven? Do you believe Jesus died? Yeah, I do. Okay, you're saved. You're not doing them favors. You're actually misleading them and deceiving them. You think this is helping them, but it's not. You must say, well, I'm glad you believe that, but do you understand the 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 demands that Jesus makes are very high. You, you actually have to deny yourself, take up your cross, you, and, and I don't see you even attending church, you, you might say to these people. I don't see that you have any interest in things of God. I don't care what you believe factually. Your life isn't saying this. I love you, and I love you so much that I'll tell you this in love. That's helping a person, and that may divide family. That may divide friendship, right? That's what the gospel does, but you're not helping You're hurting, you're harming them eternally by deceiving them. But this offer is to anyone. Share it with everyone. Second, the demands are Christ's to make. We've said that over and over. Third, don't view these demands as a difficult thing. You know what? I I believe I became a Christian like age 11, 12. I don't know that I understood everything about it at that time. My heart was tender to the things of God. I grew, I struggled. Uh, I've heard messages even in my teenage college say, man, I'm really a Christian because I think I began to understand the gospel even more. Now I understand as much as I can to this day and I probably understand more into the future what Christ's demands are to me to deny myself and follow him and take up my cross and I, and I struggle from time to time but I never, I never have thought that's too hard in, in a sense of I don't want to do that or that's not fair. I've never thought that. Because the 
The rewards are so worth it. Like I said, why would I want to hang on to myself when I can have all that Christ offers? It would be tragic to leave today and for you not to understand, I mean, what the gospel really means and whether or not you have truly received it. So if you are questioning, I stand at the door. Uh, we can talk afterwards. There's no, nothing more important today than making certain of this. Um, we don't give invitations here like raise your hand or come forward because I think that can mislead people too. But if the Lord is speaking to you about the gospel and you say, I don't really know if I'm a believer, talk to me, talk to Dave, talk to Derek, talk to one of the ladies that, that you know knows Christ here if you're a lady and, and get it squared away, right? Get it squared away. And then as we come back tonight and kind of conclude the message, well, we've already talked last week about the need to share the gospel and then the need to train people. It's been a little bit of a different day, but I hope it's been encouraging. I hope it's been encouraging. Thank the Lord for what he's done for us, amen? And we praise him. Let's, let's thank him and we'll close. <clears throat> Just take a minute before the Lord here. And if you are a Christian, uh, thank him for what he's done. And recommit yourself to saying, God, I deny myself, I take up my cross, I'm 